up, y'all, and welcome to the Jack Vita Show. I am your host, Jack Vita. It is Tuesday, January 14th, 2020, and we have a lot to get to today. It's the day after the national championship for college football. Jake Poliga will join me in just a little bit. We will talk about the college football playoff and, in addition to that, the NFL playoffs over the weekend. We've got a lot to talk about from the divisional round. We will also look ahead at the conference championship matchups that we will have this coming Sunday. So stick around for that. In addition to that, we will also get into some baseball with the Astros being disciplined for their role in stealing signs. Jeff Lunau and A.J. Hinch have lost their jobs. As a result, we will get into all of that later on in the show today. But first, I have a really special guest joining me right now. And this is just a special treat for the listeners. Perfect timing in the wake of the LSU Tigers football team winning their first national championship in 12 years. She was Miss Louisiana just a couple of years ago in 2017, finished top seven in the Miss America pageant just a couple of years ago, and is an LSU grad Larissa Bonacquisti, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Uh, like I said, I'm still on cloud nine. I am <laughs> feeling the purple and gold, loving purple and living gold every single day, uh, especially <laughs> right now. Were you able to get some sleep last night? I got a little bit, but um, there was a little bit of excitement following that game. And of course, I had to watch them receive the trophy and, you know, Joe <laughs> hold it up over his head, the tears, the excitement. I mean, that team deserves that win more than just their talent and their ability, but they have heart, and that is amazing. Yeah, Joe, what a great story this year for him. What do you think the legacy he's going to leave behind at LSU? Because you look at this, one of Heisman, 15-0. and The Tigers were only the second ever 15-0 and team. Clemson did it last year, dethroned the defending champion <laughs> Clemson Tigers. Just a historic year. It, it, I mean, there there is a great legacy that he left behind. And, you know, he's got a story and he's got, he's made a name for himself. But one of the most incredible things I think that he is, has shown is humility. And yeah. with all of the incredible work that he has done and the accolades he has received over and over and over again, and the way in which he treats his teammates and he treats those around him, you'd never know it. And even whenever, you know, they brought him up as obviously the offensive player of the game, um, they immediately, you know, he immediately pointed to his teammates, not only his teammates, but you know, the, the coaches, the faculty, and all those who even serve meals. I mean, everybody. And that was one of those moments where you just look at him and you say, you know what, more than anyone, I think you deserve this, not just because of your gifts, but because of your humility and your love of the game. I mean, he didn't even start out as a quarterback, but you can see he has those gifts. He has his abilities. It almost looked at times like no one could touch him. Like they were scared <laughs> to touch him because they didn't know what he was going to do next. And it just, he's one of those people that has the heart and shows through how he plays and how he interacts with his teammates. Absolutely. Just such a great story with this LSU team. I'm glad you bring up that fact about the humility. LSU beat seven ranked opponents this year. Do you think this is going to be remembered, at least at this point in time, as the best LSU football team of all time? I have to say yes. I mean, and like it all goes back to not only you know, their gifts, because that team has gifts. I mean, you watch how it almost it looks like they're reading each other's minds. <laughs> they they just, they it flows. It, it flows like 
almost like a dance because they all know exactly what the next person's about to do and they just work together. But that all stems from that team, that foundation of trusting one another. And there were moments in which, you know, you saw Joe get a little frustrated, but it wasn't, I could see it wasn't at his teammates. You know, he just wanted it to work, not for himself, but for the team. And, you know, every once in a while he'd go off on his own, but then he'd immediately give back to his team and it wasn't about him. And so it's all about that teamwork and that foundation. And I think that that in itself is what makes a great team. And this team will be remembered, absolutely. And it all starts with the leadership of Coach O and the leadership that Joe Burrow showed throughout his entire time at LSU. Absolutely, absolutely. So I'm, I would think you were at LSU when they hired Coach O. And I know there were a lot <laughs> of doubters back then. Yes, absolutely. I mean, when you get, you get rid of a, a coach that did have a, a championship, Liz Miles, you know, uh, and then you replace him with someone who, you know, everyone loves. Everyone loves Coach O. And I remember, you know, there was excitement because it was new, but no one really knew if it was permanent. They were just kind of like, okay, maybe this is an interim. It almost felt almost like an interim thing. Yeah. But everyone loved him so much that it felt like he was already becoming part of the family or he already was part of the family, whether you can understand him or not. Um, you always <laughs> understand the Go Tigers. I love it. It's awesome. And um, he, but one of the things is, the biggest things was, was it, it was, it was a, difficult time because you, you were really it was a huge transition we needed the transition but we didn't it almost felt like okay what are we doing we're okay we're just going to go for it and um but I really think that his coaching style and the way in which he leads his team you know it was going to build it was building and it was taking that time it needed a couple of years to build up but they trust him and they look to his leadership and that shows they respect him they definitely respect him yeah, great story. I know it was always his dream job to coach in Louisiana, and he got his dream come true. It's going to be looks like he's going to be there quite a long time. I would think so. I hope so. I absolutely <laughs> hope so. I mean, you even have you know the Rock looking at him and saying, "Hey, he was my coach way back when, and I learned yeah. lessons from him." You know that I didn't realize I I didn't take to heart until I was an adult. But you know, he had you had the Rock Johnson like posting and supporting LSU because of Coach O. So I think I think we've got a keeper for sure. Absolutely. So I'm sure the students are enjoying the no school today. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. I'm jealous. I, I you know, I always say I say I was there. I graduated in December of last year and I and I, I say I was there during the, the transition. So during my time there we did get Coach O. We brought him yeah. up to our head coaching. But you know, we had to wait till after I left to actually, you know, win the championship and get days off of school and get to experience that. So there's a part of me that's just a little salty, but it's okay <laughs> because we did end up winning. Yeah, hey, I mean, my school hasn't. I mean, my school does not have a Division One football team. They're in the FCS, and their college basketball team has some history. But hey, we haven't made the tournament in about five years, so I would gladly switch places with you. Yes. I totally understand. So I'm not complaining. I'm just saying, you know, I would have loved to have experienced that as a student. But, you know, as an alum, I will I will give it to him. Absolutely. I just wish I could have been there to experience it. What does it mean to the team, the students, the fans following the very unfortunate tragedy that occurred unexpectedly just a couple weeks ago? You know, I, I knew um, Carly McCord personally through, mm. you know, pageants. A scholarship organization, and she was actually a, a mystery port sister of mine. I, I won mystery port, and she was there to help me because she had previously held that title. And you know, I think I truly believe that her spirit was there um, with the team during the tragedy, immediately after, and and especially last night. Uh, her love of the game 
and her love of LSU and everyone around it was was evident in everything that she did. And you, I mean, I, they did so many tributes to her. ESPN did a tribute, and um, others did as well. And you know, it brought me to tears to see that. But you know, her her husband ha- has really made it clear, especially that game after she passed. You know, they asked, you know, why would your dad continue to coach? And he said, that's what Carly would have wanted. Mm. You know, she would she would have told him, you need to go out there and coach. And so he did it for her. And, you know, he didn't even tell his players initially that she had passed. Um, but Coach Enzinger, they found out, and they came out, and they were like, they. I mean, you saw how much they killed that Oklahoma team. And, yeah. Um, but, I mean, I believe that her spirit was in every person. I actually saw a friend on Facebook who never cheers for LSU uh, because she's a, a Louisiana Tech graduate. And, <laughs> you know, she said she, she was, she's was she been experiencing the hardship because she was even closer than Carly, to Carly than I was, but she was very clear that she would support the purple and gold last night because of her, because, you know, her, her legacy will live on and every single person who she touched, including the, the LSU team. That's awesome. Thank you so much for, I know it's hard to talk about that. I'm praying for you. I'm praying for everyone who's been involved in this tragedy. I'm glad that there was some sort of silver lining in this very unfortunate circumstances. Well, thank you. Um, it, it, I mean, it's hard for me, but I know it's even harder for, for those who were in her family, who had been friends with her since they were little. I was just blessed to know her for a few short years, but those those that knew her for even longer were able to be blessed by her even further. And I know that there's scholarships that is being created in her name from the university she graduated, from which she graduated, and there is so much else that they are, you know, leaving, or that she's leaving behind as part of her legacy and I know that uh, even in the box, they actually had a dedicated spot for her, as yeah. well as one other who tragically died recently. And so that that just just moments like that that you realize you, or you're very grateful for them recognizing the impact that she left. Yeah, and I think that's one of the great things about sports is we have moments like that, and there are moments that that are bigger than sports. Uh, so very yeah. cool stuff there. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, uh, Larissa, I want to give you a chance uh, in a second. I'm going to let you plug your vlog and everything that you're working on over there. But first, <laughs> do you have any other thoughts on this LSU team? Because I, I know you don't go on sports podcasts too often. So this is your chance if there's anything <laughs> else you want to talk about here. Well, I mean, like you said, I don't, I don't, I don't participate in sports podcasts often because I know <laughs> that sports are, is not my forte. I'm more in the political <laughs> realm, but... I do have a passion for LSU, I have a passion for the Tigers, and I know that, you know, of any team, and, I, and you know, I know there are a lot of amazing teams out there, but I, there is no team, in my opinion, I'm slightly jaded, but there's no team that has heart like LSU. There is no team that has a backing like LSU. There is no team that has that spirit like LSU does, and I believe that a team like LSU deserves this win, not only because of their, their talent, but their spirit, their heart, their humility, and it shows every single time that they step on that football field. And I truly believe that this team is one that will go down in history. Absolutely. Yeah, they deserved it this year. They were by far, in a way, the best team. They proved it on the field again and again. Larissa, you are doing a lot of great work over with your (laughs) vlog, The Boniquisti Brief. Why don't you tell us a little bit about it? By the way, this is not, I'm going to say, put this disclaimer out there. This is not a political podcast here, but 
<laughs> regardless of what you believe in politically, I think Larissa does a great job. Everyone should go check it out. So go ahead and tell us about it. <laughs> I have started a Facebook page called The Bonaquiski Brief. If you don't know how to spell that, um, <laughs> look up Miss Louisiana 2017. You'll find my name. <laughs> The last name on there, Bonacquisti. It's Italian. I apologize. Um, but I don't get to do it every week like I would like to because I also work for a, a, a state senator in Texas. But I try to get them on as much as possible, just updating people not only on what's going on in politics, but, you know, the background behind it. And, yes, I have my own my own opinions and what what I believe. But my goal with this with this brief and with this uh, with this blog was to bring out the people who maybe don't agree with me, not to argue, but to talk about the facts behind what we believe. And, you know, we can agree to disagree at the end of the day, but I truly believe that our country was was founded on, you know, democracy, on building each other up through, you know, actually going through debates, educational debates, you know, argumentative, but also allowing each other to speak. And you actually learn more whenever you speak to someone from an opposing side. So I, that's my goal is not to argue, but to discuss. And if you want to learn a little bit about it, you can just check it out on Facebook. I also put the videos up on YouTube. And so you should be able to find them there. If you accidentally find one of my ventriloquism videos, I apologize. <laughs> but there, there are uh, the, the political vlogs are on there as well. So I hope you go and check them out. Yeah, and the ventriloquism stuff is good, too, so I recommend that. <laughs> uh, Larissa, how can, in addition to that, how can people get in touch with you? You want to plug your social media handles, anything of that nature? Yes. Um, so if you want to find me on social media, I have a Twitter page, Charlotte, my first name um, is Charlotte, and Bonac, B-O-N-A-C, two. You can find me on Facebook. You can find me on um, Instagram. My name is uh, Larissa Bonacquisti, all spelled out. You can find me on Facebook. You can find that Facebook page. You can message me on the Bonacquisti Brief Facebook page. It should be able to be found using at the Bonacquisti Brief. So you can check me out there. I'm always looking to reach out and to talk to people. You know, build up that build up that communication with people who agree, who disagree, or who just want to know more. Great. That's awesome. I got one last question for you. Ready for this one? Oh, absolutely. When are you going to set me up with one of your Miss America friends? <laughs> um, I will work on that for you. I will look and see which ones. You know what? About half of our class are basically, you know, engaged or married by yeah. this point. So it's, it's kind of, and it's only been, what, two years? So it's a, little, it's a little crazy how quickly things happen. But I will I will work on that for you. If not Miss America, you know, I've got people who I know friends in Miss Texas. You know, I'll, I'll work on that. Awesome. That sounds great to me. Uh Thank you so much. <laughs> this was so much fun, Absolutely. Larissa. And I hope we can do something like this again later this year. Anytime. Just let me know. Great job there by Larissa. Carly McCord was a good friend of hers. I know it's been a very difficult time for her and for everyone in that community. So for them to get a win last night, wow, that really was special. Uh, what a great job she did. At this time, let me bring in our next guest, Jake Poliga. He joined me about a month ago when we got the selection show for the college football playoff. We gave our initial thoughts. We also talked a little bit of NFL. That was probably around week 15 or so. And now here we are in the playoffs. We got plenty to get to today. Jake, how are you doing? I'm good, Jack. Thanks for having me on. 
Yeah, great to have you here. How about that? Miss Louisiana on the podcast. Pretty cool. Yeah, that's pretty awesome, man. <laughs> Dude, if she sets me up with one of her Miss America friends, that will just make this 2020 will be the best year of my life. <laughs> hey, hey, you got to make it happen. Man. You got to make it happen. And by the way, to the listeners, I didn't make it clear. Larissa is a good friend of mine. I would not have asked her that question if I, she was not. I would not ask that question to a stranger. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, great appearance. Now, Jake, you watched the game last night. Clemson, LSU, immediate initial thoughts, takeaways from the game we saw last night. Oh, well, so I had, uh, in the last podcast, I told you I think Ohio State wins it all. Um, <laughs> yeah. obviously, obviously wrong about that. And so I, uh, I, and then I went and took Clemson and, uh, obviously pretty wrong about that too. So I just kind of, I wasn't, I've never been, I never really hopped on the, uh, Joe Burrow train, you know, it wasn't crazy. <laughs> I like LSU didn't think they had like, per, like premier talent, like, uh, Bama and Clemson and them in Ohio State too. But uh, Joe Burrow, he, he impressed me, man. He, wow, he, I didn't, I, I thought just, you know, one-year wonder. I only watched a couple of his games this year. But everything from his pocket presence last night to uh, his deep ball touch, which was just unreal, and even his athletic ability. I think, I think the biggest takeaway for me from that game is that I think Joe Burrow's legit. I think he's definitely <laughs> deserving of that first overall pick. Man, the Bengals are going to get something so special in Joe Burrow. It was so cool to see both of these quarterbacks in this game. We had an awesome first half, and I really thought it was shaping up to be one of the all-time great national championship games, at least in the college football playoff era. Yeah, I thought thought it was going to be one of those greats, too. I thought Clemson was going to pull it off, too. And then, you know, just second half, Burrow, Burrow just couldn't be stopped. And then you get that targeting call, which is obviously a huge momentum swing. Yeah. That was their, that, uh, the, the guy who got booted, he was their best defensive player in that Ohio State game. And then he gets booted, momentum goes, just momentum goes everywhere, and then that pass interference call, the OPI in the end zone, that was just, I feel like that was just an absolute dagger for Clemson, you know? Yeah, let's talk about a couple of those calls. So I thought they goofed up the targeting. That didn't seem like the right call there. And in fact, I like that we have targeting in college football. In general, I like the way the college football game is officiated more than I like the way it is officiated in the NFL. I thought they goofed up that call, though. That should not have been an ejection, in my opinion. I completely agree. And I'm I'm all, I'm, all, I'm fine with that's a penalty. You know, if they're going to call that a penalty, he did. He did lower his head. But as a defender, you're taught to get low. You're taught to just be the lower center of gravity, be your gra- center of gravity as low as possible. And obviously that kind of comes with putting your head down and there's really not much you can do about it. And that's such a bang, bang play from a hard player. The guy's being tackled, being brought down. You, you don't know where his head's going to end up. I, I, I get a penalty there because you just kind of got to call that nowadays. But an ejection man in a national championship, I thought that was just absurd. That was, that was, that was the final stop for me. I was rooting pretty hard for Clemson. That was the one that I was not happy about. (laughs) The offensive pass interference was actually an interesting one to bring up because when I watched it live, I thought it it did look in in live vision, at least on a TV screen. They ref had a much better view of it than we did. I thought it looked like offensive pass interference, but then when I saw the replay, I didn't I didn't think it was anymore. (laughs) 
Yep. I, oh, I completely agree with that. And, and live, even in the replay, you could you could tell how like why the ref thought it was OPI. Yeah. Because I don't know, there, there's a little jersey grab there. You know, it might have gotten away with a little bit, but that's just not enough to call to reverse a touchdown in that huge situation. And one thing I don't get is, if you're going to be able to reverse a targeting call, take that to the booth, then why aren't they on the NFL's level yet and being able to uh, over, overturn a pass interference call? Like, that's the biggest game of the year, and that was the, probably the biggest play in that game. I think I, I mean, they just got to, got to, you know, hit the rules. I think the NFL's got to hit the hit the rule books too and figure <laughs> out that build up that Bill Belichick and Mike Vrabel uh, time like time manipulation. Yeah, doing. yeah, that one's funny. But I think we saw the Packers trying to go for that too. They did. Yeah, that's it's funny how Belichick just find those loopholes. Let's talk a little more about this college football game and this college football season. Personally, I thought the Tigers of LSU, the Bayou Bengals, they were one of the great stories we've had in terms of a national championship team, just where they went on this wild ride all season long, beat seven ranked opponents, ended up dethroning a 25-0 Clemson Tigers team over their last 25 games, the defending champions, where do you think this team sits in the annals of college football history? It's a good question, Jack. It's a it's an even better question for someone who's watched a full lifetime of college football. But <laughs> from from uh, you know from from my days of watching, and just from stories I've heard, maybe even a couple thirty for thirties in there, um, I, I think you got to put them right up there with with the best. Like obviously, I didn't get to watch teams at the U and some some of those great college football teams and. Obviously, the athletes are a lot better nowadays, too. So I think that plays in. And I think this team would be able to hang with anyone. I wasn't, like I said, I wasn't crazy about Joe Burrow. I thought a little bit of a system thing. I thought maybe when he sees a bunch of NFL talent and Clemson defense, he uh, takes a little step back. But he, sh- he proved me wrong. And <laughs> I think there's just no there's no one that I, I don't think they could hang with in, in all-time college football just because that passing attack is so deadly. They were reminding me, in terms of if I were to look at a one-year run, the team that came to mind a little bit was a 2004 USC Trojans team that had Matt Leinart. Matt Leinart won the Heisman, and they ended up shredding Oklahoma in the national championship game. That's the one that comes to mind for me. Yeah, I mean, I agree with that, too. I think Reggie Bush is probably the greatest college player I've ever watched in my days. (laughs) I think you missed out on – you didn't get to see – Willis McGahee, did you? No, no, not not really. I remember his days, but I didn't get to really watch much yeah, he, college ball. In college, he was probably I'd probably say he was the best running back that I've seen. Uh, but Reggie Bush is a good pick too. I mean, Willis McGahee before he had that knee injury in the Tostitos yeah. Fiesta Bowl. I think that was in 2002. I want to say. I was like, this guy is going to be so great in the pros, but the the knee injury really messed him up. He had a good pro career, but wasn't quite. Yeah, yeah, he, he did. He did have a good pro career. I was a big fan of him on the Bills. In fact, he probably had a better pro career than Reggie Bush did. Oh yeah, definitely. Reggie, uh, Reggie actually, I uh, I saw him come on the herd the other day, and he was saying that when he re- he when he uh, when he left football, he didn't he didn't actually retire. He just he was free agent. And uh, still working out and everything like that, and just never got picked up. Yeah, so it's it's kind of crazy, you know. I don't know. I feel like if he, maybe if he came into the league now, 
where it's more of a passing league and a lot mm. of coaches are yeah. starting to really, uh, you know, form their philosophies around what they've got in their players. But the NFL just, even, even then, was kind of a different league than it is now, you know, less passing, less passing to the running back in general. Yeah, and Reggie had injuries too. That was another downfall he did. in terms of yeah. his career. But Liner, another guy, thought he was going to be magnificent in the NFL. Hopefully Joe Burrow's career does not end up like Matt Leinert's. But in Joe Burrow's defense, I, I do think he was more, I think peak Burrow this year, I'd take him over the two years of Matt Leinert. And I also think that Burrow through what we saw is a consensus number one overall pick where liner ended up slipping to like seven or eight in that draft. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, I think, um, you know, I, I just think the mental aspect and then when you're a quarterback, there's so much of the game that's mental. I think Joe Burrow has got everything it takes from that mental aspect and he's been through a lot, obviously, but I just think his confidence is, uh, just his sitting in the pocket like that and be able to take hits against the best team, best, NFL talent in college football, he, uh, he surprised me. Just everything, he, mentally, his pregame, this way he handled the media and everything like that. I think he's really got what it takes to be a great NFL QB. It's yeah, just Jay. the Bengals, you know. Going to the Bengals is going to be tough. Well, they have some weapons. I mean, you look at Tyler Boyd. We, I think A.J. Green's probably going to leave as a free agent. Joe Mixon, though. You got Joe Mixon, you got Tyler Boyd, and John Ross showed a lot of flashes this past year when he was healthy. So I think there's some weapons. They just really need to build up an offensive line that can protect him because I remember they had a couple of linemen retire back in the preseason. Yeah. Yeah, that's, they, they really need some key pieces on the line. That's obviously going to be huge. Joe Burrow had great protection pretty much his entire uh, senior year. And then I think one big thing, too, is they got to go around, go out and build around them. The, uh, the Bengals are one of those franchises that's just been really frugal for kind of their whole existence. And I think, I think to, to have a quarterback like that, someone who's special, a consensus number one pick, I think you've got to go out and just absolutely build around him, get him a good defense where he's not always playing from behind, and uh, you know develop a running game. Joe Mixon's a good starter, though. Jake, if they go in to the preseason and they don't improve their offensive line, would you redshirt him this year? Because I would not want him to take any hits and just get beaten up behind a bad offensive line on a team that probably is not going to be in contention. Yeah, it's a good question, Jack. It really is. Um, I mean, that's kind of the question you got to have with all these QBs. Um, because you see a lot of them come into the league right away and kills their confidence. And confidence is so important for the quarterback position. So I think you got to play that in a factor. Joe Burrow is obviously losing with confidence. So I don't know if that's something you necessarily have to worry about as much. But there's just part of me says develop him, give him the reps, um, just put a drill in his head that even if he's losing now, he's the future. We're sticking with him. We're going to build around you. And then part of me is like, hey, Look what uh, Patrick Mahomes did. Look what Rodgers did. Some of these great quarterbacks that sat behind someone good. But I think if they are going to, uh, you know, like let him ride the bench for the first year or at least first couple games, I think you got to bring in someone who's maybe even bring back Andy Dalton, but someone who's been around there, been a starting quarterback for a while. Someone like, uh, like Eli with Daniel Jones, just someone who can mentor him, you know. Yeah, that's a great point. Uh, totally, totally agree with that. So, 
I guess if we're looking back on other things in this game, I guess the thing that really drew me to this game, this was the most exciting game for me this year and football in general. I don't think I'm going to get as excited about any NFL remaining games as I was for this matchup. But the thing that really drew me in was the fact that this is a guy in Joe Burrow who's going to be the number one overall pick in the 2020 NFL draft. I I just cannot see. It would be very Cincinnati Bengals-ish if they were to goof it up somehow and trade a bunch of trade him for a bunch of picks or draft Chase Young, but no, 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 they're they're going with Joe Burrow. They've that, they've got to. I mean, yeah. they absolutely have to. He's from Ohio. Unless yeah. he does something, unless he pulls an Eli and Payton and just says, <laughs> "Hey, no, we don't want to go to Cincinnati for whatever reason." Then I think if you don't draft him, then if you don't draft him, you have to get that number one number one overall pick next year because if you uh, yeah. You, draft Chase say they draft Chase Young, which obviously probably the best player in the draft. But if they if they draft Chase Young, then you are banking next year on Trevor Lawrence. And if you don't get him, fan base is just gonna be absolutely frustrated. Yeah, Jake, you finished my point for me here in that you're gonna see in this you saw in this game, twenty twenty number one overall pick and most likely barring any kind of injury or very strange situation. Uh, and I hate that I'm prefacing it by saying that I shouldn't even be saying any of this stuff. Uh, but <laughs> I'll get where you're going. Yeah. 2021 number one overall pick. And this reminds me, I said it last week when I was talking with Zach Jones on our baseball episode, reminded me a little bit of this magic versus bird in the 1979 NCAA championship. Now, I'm not saying that these two guys are going to be top 10 all-time NFL players by any stretch of the imagination, but they could be the new faces of the league. So to get them in this game in college football, I think, was a really great draw. Unfortunately, the second half did not end up being as compelling. I do think LSU proved itself to be the best team in college football though by the way they dominated that Clemson team in the second half oh no doubt no doubt and to your point about Trevor Trevor Lawrence I think he's I, I still think he's a better quarterback or better prospect than uh than than Joe Burrow is and I just think I just think Trevor Lawrence is one of those you know just best prospects since Manning I don't know he's oh he's got everything it takes he's, he's yeah he's got the uh He's got just the mental aspect. He's got the it factor. He's been that guy since, since like he was a sophomore in high school. He's been just that you know that everyone thinks is the next protege. Um, obviously, like you said, something could go wrong. Um, hope it hope it doesn't because obviously you want to see these great quarterbacks enter the league. But I think I, I think I get, I get what you're saying, and I think there's a very real chance that that uh, Burrow and Burrow and uh, Lawrence matchup is in a couple Super Bowls. Yeah, I, I, or that could you imagine, Man- Jake? Manning Brady? <laughs> could you imagine <laughs> if they somehow found their way in the same division? If the Browns oh, ended up struggling next year and tanking, and they got Trevor or the Steelers, uh, Ben gets hurt in week two, and the Steelers are like, all right, we got to tank. We need to do this. And now all of a sudden you're looking at Trevor, you're looking at Burrow and Lamar Jackson all in the same division for the next 10 years. 
that would be absolutely incredible. When you go from <laughs> this year's worst, this year's worst division, or one of the worst divisions, it was probably well bad. NFC in the East. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, that'd be that'd be something. I'm I'm all here for that. Yeah, it'd be great. So I'm looking forward to the next 15 years. We're going to see tape from, oh, and these guys met in the 2020 National Championship. And I think that is really what ultimately made this game very special. Even though it wasn't the greatest of games, I think it was a really good first half. Uh, I would say a great first half. LSU was down 10. uh, And the second half did not prove to be like the first half. But overall, I enjoyed this game. And I think it will be a game that we look back on with some significance because of what the future could hold for these quarterbacks. Yeah, definitely. I definitely agree with that. Do you have any other thoughts on college football this year? Uh, this game in general, these quarterbacks closing thoughts, I should say. <laughs> some closing thoughts. Uh, yeah. Not really. I mean, there's, I guess my one closing thought would be um, the transfer QB portal this year. Mm. All the QBs transferring. You got uh, KJ Costello, uh, one of the some really good kid from Wake Forest, I believe. Um, there's a couple other ones going around too. I think that that uh, transfer portal is going to be really interesting. It's one of the best ones we've had. And it's going to be really interesting to see who goes where. Um, maybe Oklahoma picks up a guy. They've had good success with that over the past couple of years, but. Uh, Ultimately, I'd love my Boilermakers to grab one of those one of those QBs, <laughs> and, and actually rumored to uh, rumored to be in the playing for a couple of these quarterbacks. Oh. So, yeah, so so I'm hoping that happens because I mean, Purdue's got, in my opinion, in my obviously a little biased opinion, <laughs> I think I think Purdue has as good a receiving core as anyone. Uh, they've got the number number one or two prospect in the 2021 draft, Rondale Moore, and then another five star recruit. Um, David Bell, who broke a ton of records this year. So Jeff Brown's done a really, really good job recruiting the receivers. And as a quarterback, I just I don't know why you wouldn't want to come here. I mean, Purdue's had the, uh, the NFL success, too, with Breeze, Orton, Gre- Greasy, and uh, Painter. Yeah, for sure. Wait, I thought Greasy yeah. was a Michigan guy. Um, Bob? Oh. No, Bob Greasy. Oh, Bob yeah, Greasy. Bob, yeah, Bob, yeah. Bob, yeah. Bob, Bob Greasy. Yeah, Bob Greasy. Yeah, that's right. My bad. I was thinking Brian Greasy and uh, yeah, of course Breeze. Yeah, I mean Breeze is a guy. Breeze <laughs> is that uh, he's Mister Purdue, Mister <laughs> Purdue at this point. He's got an, a fellowship of Christian athletes event coming up in Fort Wayne this winter. Oh really? Yeah, you might want to look into that. I'm yeah, sure he... there'll be some Purdue guys going to that. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah, a ton of my friends are actually from Fort Wayne down here. <laughs> My last closing thought, I guess, in terms of college football, I think it was a good year. College game day did a great job per usual. And I guess what I wanted to note was the LSU receiving core. I'm really curious to see where some of these guys end up in the draft. I don't think Randy Moss's kid is too high of a prospect. and Or even if he is ready, he might be an underclassman. But it was fun seeing Randy at the games with the LSU gear on, getting emotional. That was cool. Jamar Chase yeah. was excellent. And, of course, Justin Jefferson. Jake, do you know about Justin Jefferson's older brother, Jordan? I don't, know. It seems like he wasn't talked about a whole lot, but his brother, Jordan, was a quarterback at LSU sometime in between the Matt Flynn and Zach Mettenberger era. 
And so mm-hmm. it was just a little trivia. Jordan Jefferson, he played on that LSU team. It was like around 2009. Another quarterback who he played with, Russell Shepard, who is now an NFL wide receiver. Interesting. Yeah, I, I didn't know that. The kid, uh, Jefferson kid, though, he's he's a stud. He just <laughs> actually uh, declared, declared today. He's, he looked amazing in that game against Oklahoma. We put up 200 yards and five touchdowns in the first half. Yeah, un- unreal. <laughs> so, all right, Jake, it seems like we are ready to move over to the NFL side of things. First, let's recap some of these games that we saw in the divisional round of the playoffs over the weekend, and then we will look ahead and preview the conference championships this weekend. Which one of these games are you most excited or opinionated to talk about? Well, from last weekend, um, obviously that Titans, Titans Ravens one. There's a lot to talk about there, but uh, I, I can't put a, I can't, I can't even tell you how and why. And gosh, I'm just, I'm baffled by that game. I thought it'd at least be close if they won it, and they just dominated that game. They just pulled away. Pretty much right away after that, it was. I had a feeling too when I was watching that game. The Ravens had uh, fourth and one or fourth and two um, in their own on their own like forty down seven, and I was I was thinking I'm like, okay, they're gonna go for this. Harbaugh always goes for these, but if they don't get this, then they're probably gonna go down fourteen nothing. And with the way that Tennessee plays football, that that is that is not what you want, even at home, even with the better team. So I don't know this. This Tennessee team's interesting, but other than that, I, I think that that uh, Packers Seahawks game that was the one I was most excited for. Um, kind of let me eh, let me down a little bit. Um, Let, let's stay on this Titans game for a little bit here. We'll move over to some yeah. of these other ones. The Titans are starting to remind me. I'm going to make a baseball comparison. The 2019 mm-hmm. Washington Nationals. Yeah. Um, I, I definitely, I definitely see the comparison there. <laughs> a team that everyone thought was dead in the water early in the season. Uh, in this case, Tennessee changed quarterbacks, went on a nice deep wild card run. But really, the biggest thing, playing a game that's very contrary to the modern league opinion in the sense of. Baseball, everyone's talking about launch angle, home runs. We don't care about strikeouts. Nationals are out there playing small ball and beating you on the bases with speed. Everyone's talking about bullpens. They're all about their starting pitchers and using starters in the spots as relievers. In the modern-day NFL, what we keep talking about is pass how pass-happy this league is right now. And the Titans are showing you Old school NFL, if you have a back like Jerome Bettis, which is what Derrick Henry is reminding me of like a faster Jerome Bettis, he's truly becoming a player that we haven't seen a whole lot of guys like him. But you can dominate time of possession. You can run all over a team and use your run game to set up your passing game. And I don't think that that strategy is being optimized as much in the modern day game today. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that. I mean, I think I think it's smart for for some of these some of these teams when they don't have the 
Lamar Jackson's or Patrick Mahomes. And I think it's smart of him to go against the curve and, uh, you know, just kind of just be, be different, you know, differentiate yourself. And I think, I think what the, what the Titans have did, what the Titans have done and what the, what the Nationals did, you're right. It's really, really similar as to where they both kind of, you know, like stuck with the roots and went against what the rest of the league is doing. And obviously, you know, it paid off really well for both teams, even, even Titans so far, just reaching this AFC championship after they're, what, two and four or something like that. It's just yeah. really impressive. But the one thing I, the one, the one uh, thing I would take away from that is, is I think the Nationals were a team that I think everyone thought they had the talent. Even the last like three years, everyone thought, oh, this team should be a World Series contender. Um, and they, they both did kind of had the same trajectory where they started off bad and eventually came up. But I just, I, I I've been saying this all all playoffs, but I just don't think the Titans have the talent to get it done. And, and I think they're matching up versus the hottest and in my opinion, the best teams still left in this playoffs. So they have, they have their work cut out for them. Yeah. That's a good distinction between the two teams. I, I think there are a lot of similarities. The thing that I really think when we look at what happened to the Ravens here, number one, we've only seen, it's kind of interesting how much trust a lot of people have put into Lamar in these playoffs. And Maybe rightfully so. He was he's going to win the MVP this year. He was amazing in the regular season. But this was only his second ever playoff game. And last year we saw what happened in that game against the Chargers and they came back towards the end, but he struggled a lot in that playoff game. The playoffs are a different animal than the regular season. In addition to that, the Ravens essentially had about three weeks in between playing meaningful games because they rested everyone in week 17. Then they got the bye week, and now we get to the divisional round, and they just looked like a rusty team, whereas the Titans are functioning as this well-oiled machine peaking at the right time. Yeah, I mean, remember, uh, I don't know if you remember this, but a couple of weeks ago I told Con, big uh, Connor Ennis, big Titans fan, <laughs> I told him. Uh, <laughs> I told I'm him, laughing, Jake, because this is probably the fifth or sixth straight podcast episode where Connor's name has been mentioned by someone, <laughs> and it's been by different people too. He's on a run. Uh, He's got a streak going, unlike anyone <laughs> ever on this podcast. <laughs> he's, he's he's living a good life right now. His Titans have uh, have probably given him more hope and happiness than they've ever had in, in his uh, in his Titans fandom career, but. But I told him, uh, told him a couple weeks ago. I said he's gonna they're gonna go to go to Foxborough and have their work cut out for him. But at the same time, they're playing a team that they're probably more talented than, and a team that's just really very distraught right now, coming off a loss at home to Miami. And then they're gonna go if they win that one. And then you got to go to uh, uh, then you got to go to Baltimore. And the thing they get there is I thought they matched up real well with Baltimore. I thought Baltimore coming off three three weeks in absence. And um, I thought maybe they'd come out slow. They did come out slow. And then the Titans are the exact team you want that you want with a lead. The Titans can protect the lead. They can build around it and uh, just pound the run game. And then, you know, they go to the Chiefs, and they've already beat the Chiefs this year. So, I don't know, Jack. I, I, I've doubted them all year. And I've even, my roommates still, uh, still give me crap for doubting Ryan Tannehill. But, uh, <laughs> but I don't know. I mean, I wouldn't. I wouldn't be too surprised to see it happen. But 
like I said, they do have their work cut out for them. Absolutely. Well, Jake, let's move over to some of these other games. We can come back to the Titans when we preview some of the games for the weekend. This is interesting because we look at that Ravens-Titans game. We try to dissect what happened. Really, this is out of the four games this week, and that's the only game that I don't look at. Well, maybe you could say there was a coaching blunder in the sense of they shouldn't have rested their guys, but they were going to be a little rusty regardless having that bye week against a team that is has been playing playoff football for essentially the last month. There's a big difference between those two teams. But what I will say is, in terms of that game, we don't look at too many. These other three games, the coaches, there's a lot of questionable coaching decisions, maybe not even just in big spots, but just game plan. And we didn't really have anything to critique with the coaching. We just saw... The Titans outplayed the Ravens, but I will. Let's get into this Packers game. I know you have several thoughts on this one. I would say that this was not Pete Carroll's finest showing in the first half. I would I would agree with that. I actually read a tweet today that said a lot of the Seahawks fans are, are uh, like blaming Pete Carroll and jumping, saying that they want Pete Carroll fired. Whoa! I, Whoa! Yeah, that's... <laughs> We'll we'll save that for a different time. I think that's abs- just absolutely ridiculous. But but uh, I mean, he's one of the great coaches of all time. But um, I mean, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I I, I agree. I think I think he did. I don't really, necessarily want to say outcoached because I'm not a big not big on Matt Lafleur. But yeah, it's I, not I, like Matt Lafleur was running circles around him. It was more just some of the decisions. I'm sure you'll talk about that Pete Carroll was making in that first half. Yeah, yeah. It's a couple. There's been a, there's been a couple. Just overall throughout Pete Carroll's career, his tenure with the Seahawks, when I've like really focused in. Um, I would say he's made obviously the beast mode on the one yard line, run the ball, a lot of calls like that. But and I, even then in that Week 17 matchup versus the Niners, like how do you how do you allow your team to take that false ball or take that delay of game right there? He's He's not. He's not. To me, he's not an X's and O's. He's not a even one of the greatest situational coaches of all time, like Belichick. But he's a, he's a motivator. He's a team builder. He gets everyone pumped up. He kind of reminds me actually of a uh, Coach O. He's kind of reminds me of a <laughs> yeah. little bit like a di- different type of vibe, but more like like Coach O's philosophy. Yeah, and we're talk- we were just comparing a mid two thousands USC to modern day LSU. Yeah. So very uh, yeah, fitting it's, there. It's true. Yeah. Yeah, I, I like Pete Carroll a lot. I obviously don't think he coached a great game, but um, but I'm I'm still on that. I think anyone who's calling for his head in Seattle needs to uh, really ridiculous reassess, re, reassess that take. Yeah, well, what I saw, and this is similar to what I saw in the Minnesota San Francisco game, I saw an insistence to stick to a set game plan that wasn't particularly working and an unwillingness to adapt. Now, at the at the half, the Seahawks did come out more aggressive. But what I'm talking about is, look, Seahawks do not have the running back. They don't have the same running game without Penny and Carson with those guys out. You've got mm-hmm. Marshawn Lynch, who I like having on the goal line and has had a few great moments on the goal line in these playoffs. And who knows? Maybe we'll see him more next year. I don't know what's going to happen there. They, but they don't have the run game that they had for the first 
three first two thirds of the regular season. That run game's gone. And yet he was very committed to trying to establish that run game. I think that's how Seattle fell behind. They weren't really, they were not very aggressive in the first half with Russell Wilson. You saw it in the second half. Russell, my goodness, what an amazing second half performance that was. That was unbelievable. Well, I couldn't agree more with what you said there, Jack, too. I think the the game plan going into that game for, for the Seahawks, you're obviously playing on the road versus an NFL all-time great quarterback. So I get what you want to do. You want to go into that game, control the control possession, time for possession, pound the rock, and keep Aaron Rodgers off the field. But like we saw, like that's not going to work when you're down to your running back you just you just signed from for three weeks ago in a sixth round or seventh round draft pick. And you know, the line wasn't great either. And and you're going up against a we're very, very good front four in Green Bay. And so I think you gotta adjust. Obviously they adjusted in the second half and Russell went off. But I think I think you gotta have have it in your mind for that game is you have an NFL all time great quarterback in yourself and Russell Wilson. And so I think right when you I think right when you see that the running game's not working, you got to be aggressive and you can't fall behind. Because if you're going to fall behind to Rodgers and uh, and you're hoping that he doesn't convert a third down, like you saw how great he was on third down in that last drive, especially. And with Rodgers, you just can't you can't bank on that, you know? Yeah, yeah. And I'll compare this now. We'll we'll come back to the Seattle game, but I saw the same thing out of Mike Zimmer out in San Francisco in the sense of clearly San Francisco is keying up and trying to shut down Dalvin Cook. We saw it and it seemed like every single possession the Vikings had after that touchdown drive was one yard run by Dalvin Cook, another one yard run by Dalvin Cook, now a bubble screen, now some sort of halfback screen. And Kirk has shown to be at his best this season when he's been allowed to play aggressive when he goes out with an aggressive mentality he has feasted on secondaries I'm not going to say that he would have feasted on this San Francisco defense which is unbelievably great and I will also say that their pass rush did an outstanding job getting to Kirk early on and not allowing him to get a whole lot of time to throw but I, I just did not like that showing from Zimmer because I think he needed to, like, we're at this point where they're down multiple scores in the second half, and he's sticking to this, oh, I'm going to give it to Dalvin Cook, I'm going to give it to Dalvin Cook. You have to be able to adjust. Oh, absolutely. That was the, Mike Zimmer's approach to that game was one of the biggest talking points between me and my roommates after that game, and I was just kind of baffled. I mean, I get what he's doing. He's trying to similar similar outlook, similar philosophy to the Pat or to the to the Seahawks. You want to go in there and you want to be able to run the ball. You want to be able to take away that elite pass rush they have, and you know really um, stabilize that. And so you're trying to get the ball to your best player, Dalvin Cook, obviously focal point of their offense. But you've got two great receivers, and and you've got a quarterback who you're paying to make plays. You're not paying him to have training wheels on and I think Mike Zimmer he didn't he didn't take the training wheels off Kirk, didn't let him didn't let him drop back and there's still there was a it was like second or third of uh second or third Vikings possession of the game and at a second and eighteen Kirk got sacked on uh first down. Second and eighteen and line up in 
high formation, they hand the ball off to get two yards. So you're in a third and sixteen, and they hand the or yeah, then they hand the ball off again, get it to like third and fourteen, and just end up punting when they're already down. I think it was seven at that point. I'm just sitting there. I'm like, it's second sixteen, second eighteen, whatever it was. You've got to be passing the ball. You can't be lining up in an eye formation, running a dive play, try and get in third and manageable. Like, at least run a screen pass, run something, open up the game, you know. Let, let Stefan Diggs make a big play. Maybe you get a pass interference call. I don't know. I just, I think he had the training wheels fully on Kirk. And then in the fourth quarter, when they're down two or three scores and it's fourth and six in midfield and they're not going for it, they're putting the ball. That's basically him just waving the flag and just being like, you guys have this and we just don't want to lose by a ton. I, I didn't get it. I think Mike Zimmer really, really, really got out coached. Yeah, I think he did. And I truly was not super impressed with his coaching performance in that Saints game because, look, they came out aggressive and Kirk was playing great in the first half of that game. In the second half, he just played. And he sort of played this way in San Francisco, too. He played not to lose. He was playing a little too yeah. safe. You got to go, yeah, especially when you're an underdog, you got to play to win. Oh, absolutely. I mean, you can't be... You're an underdog. You're playing in a hostile environment versus a team that's clearly better than you and maybe even the best team left in the playoffs. And you're going up against one of the best front fours of our time. So you got to have you gotta have trick plays on deck. You got to have those ready. You got to be able to maybe even come out with more traction than you imagine and really get them guessing. You know, you can't just come out and do what you've done for the 18 games in the year before that and just power run and, and our guys are going to be, our guys are going to beat your guys. Cause in all reality, it doesn't work like that in the NFL and playoffs. When you're playing a team that's better than you, you have to have, you have to pull all the stops. Jake, I think we we put too much emphasis on wins and losses for quarterbacks sometimes. I think rings are an important way to measure a quarterback's success. I'm not talking about that, but I am talking about games like this past week. I don't know how you could put the blame on to Russell for losing in Green Bay. I don't think many people are. I know people are putting the blame on Kirk. I don't really think... I think he should get a break in this instance, but I think both these games, you just saw, look, better team and better team outcoached a team that was inferior. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I don't think Kirk, I think Kirk, you can obviously blame him and you can say, oh, he didn't make plays, but he was in it, put an opportunity to make plays. I mean, you have such, you have two good, two good tight ends and two elite level receivers. And it's, it's amazing me how little they, relied on those guys. You're one of the best deep picks in the game in Stephon Diggs. And in a league that is just pass interferences getting called multiple times a game. Let up when you're down fourteen, throw the ball deep, get Stephon Diggs like at least at least put the top take the top off the defense, you know? So I think I, I think Kirk I, I think Kirk played as well as he could have. I just think he's put in a bad situation by his coaching staff and play calling. Yeah, and the thing is, we see this so... It's so weird how this happens all the time with the egos on coaches in the sense of... Look at Matt Nagy. His whole thing is, well, I I have to have my quarterback. I have to have my system. I like what Mike Vrabel's doing in the sense of, all right, these are the pieces I've been given, and now I'm going to make it work with those pieces and find the best way for us to win. I think that is what a great coach does. Absolutely, yeah. If you're the great coaches, 
they form they don't they don't stick to their philosophy and implement it and just push it on everyone, they change it and they critique their philosophy and, and form it around the players that they have and what Harbaugh did with Lamar. That's just exhibit A right there. It's yeah. complete complete philosophy overhaul, complete game plan overhaul. And you realize that they realize that they had something special there and just went out and got a bunch of good tight ends, got a good physical running back, good fullback, and, and a, uh, a deep threat to take the top off the defense and how that turned out. Yeah. And that's just, in my opinion, exhibit A of, of uh, being like a coach molding to the personnel they have. Yeah. Last game we should talk about, and then there is something else I want to come back to in terms of from this past weekend. We got this Texans and Chiefs game. I could not imagine a more baffling game in the sense of a team is up 21 nothing in the first quarter. And by the end of the first quarter, the game is almost tied up. And that team ends up getting outscored something like 51 to 7. It was unbelievable. Yeah. It, uh, gosh, that one. I. I don't want too much to say about that one because that is just a shock, just as shocked as anyone. I'm sitting there thinking, all right, all right, we're seeing a Houston, Tennessee battle of the AFC South and the AFC Championship. Right. I'm sitting there a little, dis- I'm sitting there a little disappointed. I like, uh, I like Deshaun at all. I like, I like Tannehill. I like Titans, but I want to see some firepower, you know. And yeah. that's exactly what we got. It was just absolutely unreal, you know, to be down like that, be down twenty four nothing in the second quarter and then end up going in going into halftime what up ten or something like that or up up seven. Just un, absolutely unreal, unheard of. And if there's one team that could do it though, it's the Chiefs. And I just right now I don't think anyone's gonna stop them. And I don't know, the defense is playing well too. I mean, besides that for those first couple drives. And my big takeaway from that too is is in the beginning of the game the Chiefs were the Chiefs couldn't be stopped. They were just stopping themselves. A couple drop balls by uh, Tyreek Hill. A couple drop balls by um, uh, what's his name, uh, Demarcus, uh, Demarcus Robinson, and just a couple of those, a couple of, like really just rust shaking off the rust and everything. And they were beating themselves. And it seems like that entire game, the Texans' defense didn't actually stop the Chiefs' offense once. It was either the Chiefs' offense stopping themselves or putting it in, in their own zone. Yeah, I don't have too many thoughts on this other than what you had to say. I know Bill O'Brien has been getting killed. I think he did make a couple of wrong decisions in the sense of I do think they should have gone for it when they were up 21 to nothing and they had they were fourth and one. That's another instance. Don't play not to lose. Play aggressive. Come out here and make a statement. Make it 28 nothing. Now, I do think it wasn't a horrible call. Because if they do get a stop there, you end up giving the Chiefs a little momentum with that. And we ended up seeing that. But I don't understand that fake punt on the other side of the field and how poorly that one was executed. Yeah, no, I mean, I agree. The uh, the fake punt from their own side was like 4 from 4 or something like that when they were up a couple scores. I actually was on board with that call. I think that... I think that was a good call by Bill O'Brien. If they, if if whatever forty nine Lorenzen, I think um, one of the chief special teamers, if he doesn't make that that shoestring tackle, I think it's a different game. I think yeah. the Texans end up winning, end up winning that because they got they get the momentum and 
we all know how big momentum is there. And so I think if, you, if they get that, and the one thing I, I see from Bo O'Brien's perspective is how fast that Chiefs offense can score. And so you want to keep them off the field, and you want to be able to put points of your points of your own up. So I don't know. It's it's tough to. He did. I I do agree. Some of his he got conservative, especially uh, especially when they had that lead. I think he definitely got conservative. But it's just. I mean, if your defense isn't stopping isn't stopping them at all, you're not going to win that game. Yeah, yeah. I think again, the Chiefs. I do believe are the best team left on the board, and we will come to, back to this note in a little bit let's go over to one other note from the weekend Packers Seahawks couple questionable calls here really I don't understand how they could have even in live action seen a first down and on that play at the end of the game which I really think should have been fourth and short I think they goofed that up but on the flip side of that in the first half they also goofed up that Seattle fumble which to me looked like a clear recovery by Green Bay. And what the other strange part of that was, Green Bay challenged the fumble. They were correct in their challenge. It was ruled a fumble. They just weren't given possession. Green Bay still loses a timeout. Even in that sense, let's say, okay, yeah, we, we don't have a clear recovery. Green Bay... But you were right. Here's your timeout back. That thing just seemed odd to me, too. Yeah, I think that goes back to my point of the NFL needs to, you know, hit the hit the like, reassess the rule book. I think. Yeah. I, I think there's this there's this thing going on, and it's like a, that you have to have conclusive evidence for a play to be overturned. But if if you look at that first down, in no way, shape, or form is that ball across the line. I think from a lot of different angles, you can tell. And obviously they can't see because the ball is being, uh, Jimmy Graham got the ball. You can't really tell where the ball is, but his arm, his shoulders down before the marker. Yeah, so exactly. I think that's one, yeah. And I think that's one where you go in and you say, okay, let's use common sense in here. And obviously it's on first down. Same thing goes for the fumble. <laughs> common sense will tell you that the Packers came up with that ball. and There's a clear recovery. But obviously they go to the, they go to the booth, and there's not a clear recovery on the tape. And it was after all the scrum, I don't know. You, I, I just think they have to factor in common sense here. And um, and what was that game? It was a Texans game. Remember the first half of that Texans Titans or no Texans Bills game? And uh, at the beginning of the second half, when the guy didn't call fair catch, caught it yeah. and just dropped the ball, and they ended up they ended up reversing it because of the common sense rule. I think that's the smart play. Obviously, um, if they if they don't if if they call that a um, a touchdown to the Titans, I think it's stupid. I mean, obviously the guy gave himself up, and then the one ref comes in and says common sense. I just think that's what NFL needs to just implement common sense and just you know just just and like get away from these really technical rules. I agree. So with that, we wrap up the divisional round of the playoffs we look ahead the conference championship we get the afc game first on sunday it's a two o'clock central time i guess three o'clock eastern time where you are tennessee and kansas city what are you looking for in this game um like i said jack tennessee has been the one team that uh has just surprised me 
basically from every aspect of the game this year. So I'm not going to go out there. I think Chiefs do cover. I think Chiefs actually completely handled this game. But, seven um, point spread, by the way. Yeah, yeah. I think both the games are seven point spreads, and I think, I think, uh, I think the Chiefs go out, and I just think they're not going to be able to be stopped after seeing how explosive they were in that one and in that Texans game. Got the rust shaken off. Um, pretty much everyone's healthy besides Chris Jones, and not sure what his status is looking like. But um, I don't know. I just think the Chiefs are too good. I think they're on a different level than we've really ever seen in the NFL in terms of the passing game. And Andy Reid, he's, he's really looking for that Super Bowl. He's got, he's an offensive wizard. You know he's got those trick plays, those those just, you know, crazy, creative, unique play calls that that people have never seen on film, like Vable's not going to see coming. And so I think the Chiefs, I think the Chiefs handle this game. I'm going to call a... Uh, I'm gonna go with a 38 to 38 to 21 game. Ooh, I think it's gonna be a high scoring game. Wow, is gonna have to air it out. I don't think they're gonna be able to keep that. I mean, the run game is obviously amazing. I think Derek Henry's just absolute beast. I think Tannehill's gonna have to show off what he uh, what he's got. He's been great this year, so I'm not gonna put a pass in the shootout with Mahomes this game. I do not know what to make of this because we keep writing off Tennessee. And this is reminding me, I mean, this is a great matchup. What's so intriguing to me in this is you're, you've got the best running game in the AFC versus the best passing game in the AFC. Which style is going to prevail? Will time of possession be a key to winning this game? Can Tannehill, who has put up a total not even 150 yards over the last two games because they've been so run-heavy, is he going to be able to make plays when they need him to make plays? I don't know. Yeah. But I do think the Chiefs are the best team in the AFC. And I'm I'm sticking with my Chiefs pick that I had coming into this playoffs and coming into this season as my AFC champion. Not quite sure what score I'm gonna go with. What are your thoughts on this though? Yeah, I think I I agree with you, like I said. I think the only way the Titans do win this game is if they is if it's a low scoring game, as low scoring as you can keep Chiefs, and you're gonna have to keep you're gonna have to limit possessions, burn that clock down, get uh, convert your third downs. They're gonna have to convert sixty. They're gonna have to convert about sixty percent of their third downs, and hopefully, hopefully get a lot, get a lot, get in a third and third and short position where they can just pound the rock, and I think keep keep Mahomes off the field, and I think that's the only way they can do it. But like I said. That Chiefs offense is something special, and they definitely got their work cut out. I'm going to make a comparison here. I could see this being like a matchup we saw two years ago in the AFC title game with the Jacksonville Jaguars leading at halftime against the New England Patriots. Now, I don't think it. I don't think it's ultimately going to be quite as close down to the wire, but I would not be surprised. If Tennessee led a game something like 13 to 6 or 13 to 7, if they were leading by three to six points going into the half, and then Kansas City steps it up and gets their offense going in the second half, sort of how they start yeah. a little slow against Houston. Yeah, yeah, I can definitely see it. I mean, if, if the Titans get the ball first and they get that running game going and they go down the field, burn off like six, seven minutes off the clock. I think the Chiefs start getting a little worried. 
you know, that's what happened with uh, with Baltimore. And then, you know, just, you know how football is, just one turnover, <laughs> Titans go yeah. down and score, go up 7 nothing, and then get a turnover, and quickly, before you know, they're up 14 nothing. And uh, I think I think that's how that's how they're going to have to play this game. And it's really, the, in my opinion, the uh, only shot they got to win this game, just because the offense is, like I said, un- unbelievable. So I'm going to go with Chiefs 27, Titans 21. Hmm. So that would be a Titans cover. I like it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this- would Jack. Yeah, yeah. So that I mean, I think they got that number at seven dead right. I think it's going to be very close to that. Yeah, I think. And by me on the on the flip side of it, we uh, had NFC game. I think that's too high. What do you think about that one? San Francisco is favored by seven and a half against Aaron Rodgers. Which let's look back. Aaron Rodgers only put up a hundred yards passing on San Francisco earlier in the season. I think the Packers are looking like a better team and a cleaner operation right now than they were in week 13 or whatever that it was. Now, they did end up letting Seattle get right back into that game. I would not have a whole lot of confidence going with the Packers in this game. But if this game comes down to who can make a play at the end and you this stays close and it's Rodgers or Garoppolo, you have to go with Rodgers in that situation. Absolutely. That's why I actually think the Packers might win this game. Yeah, they very well could. Yeah, I think the Niners are a better team all around. I don't think that's really debatable. And they have a better coach, and I don't think that's debatable either. But um, obviously, he's a young coach. He's never really been in this situation before besides uh, with the Falcons and uh, when he was offense coordinator. And uh, I don't know. I just, you can't bet against Rodgers. And when you're giving Rodgers seven points, I think it's just, I, I was shocked to see that game at seven. And uh, I, like I said, I would not be shocked at all to see Rodgers, the way he played last game too, made all the throws and made some amazing throws. I wouldn't be surprised to see Rodgers put him on his back. And this is the best defense he's had since the Super Bowl team. And uh, I don't know, I just think, I'm a Bears fan, Jack, so it's <laughs> tough, to, tough for me to root against him. But I don't know, I just, I just have that, that gut feeling that this is the year that Rodgers goes to the Super Bowl. Yeah, you mean root for Rodgers. You said root against. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm talking about a root, root for Rodgers. <laughs> All right, you bring up some great points. Can I bring up an X factor for this game? Sure. Aaron Jones. I think if Aaron Jones can get going and they can control time of possession, at least to the point that they don't have to absolutely dominate it. But if they can get it to the point where San Francisco's defense has to stay on the field, and this is where Garoppolo is going to need to make some plays if Green Bay's defense can step up. And San Francisco's defense has to stay on the field longer than it did against Minnesota. They're not, and you're able to tire them out. Now I think you're looking at a potential shootout. Uh, now, I, I don't know if it's going to... I don't think it will be a shootout. I do think it's going to be close. But I think that's the instance where I think if you can get Aaron Jones going in the first half and they can keep San Francisco's defense on the field, I think that's the situation where Green Bay wins this game. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree with that. And um, I think, obviously, that's going to be their 
really the focal point going in is try and get Aaron Jones involved, try and get the run game going, and uh, you know take the crowd out of it and uh, just take the momentum. But I think I think what they 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 can't fall into the trap that Mike Zimmer and Pete Carroll even did for that first half. I think I think you got to come out, try to get the run game going, but that run that run defense is so good. Fred Warner's yeah. unbelievable. Um, I just think that you got to come out and you got to really rely on play action. You know, yeah, um, can't be predict can't be predictable running on, running every first down. Obviously, you want to, but I think you got to come out and do some play action. Really get the ball moving, take a shot downfield, even show off Rogers' arm, and and uh, I just think we're gonna have to pull out some some unique stops here. I want to see something different from that that before versus last game, just trying to pound the rock and getting stuck in that last 49 ers game. You know? Yeah, exactly. I do think there's a lot riding on Matt Lafleur's game plan against this defense. Ultimately, however, I do think I'm as much as and I got to say it, we'll, we'll talk about this topic in just a little bit, Jake. I really, really want to see a Chiefs-Packers Super Bowl. I think that's the best game that you can get for this league right now in terms of ratings. I, It seems a little too good to be true. So I got the Chiefs getting in there, but I got San Francisco winning this game 24-20, to 20, which would be a Packers cover. Yeah, I, I, I actually think that's, Probably right around where I'm going to have it. I'm uh, like I said, I, I I think the Packers could win this game, um, but I'm not going to bet on it. But <laughs> I will I will definitely take the Packers to cover that spread. I think seven points is for Aaron Rodgers in a playoff game. Kind of regardless of who they're playing is uh, is a good bet. So I'm I'm probably going to take I'm going to say 26 to 24 with a last second Robbie Gold field goal on one. <laughs> Man, would that be hard for you, or would you be happy to see Robbie Gold beat the Packers? Oh, I'd love to see it. I love, <laughs> I love, I love Robbie. Obviously, uh, it might be a little Bears curse going around since Robbie's left. <laughs> and can't can't find that kicker position, but uh, but I don't know. I, I like I like Robbie. I I think Kyle Shanahan's a great coach. Respected Jimmy G, and uh, I'd like to see the Niners win this game. You know what I really don't want to see out of this game, Jake. Yeah, what's up? Officials making calls that we are scrutinizing on Monday morning. And we once again are talking about the officiating in these playoffs. That's the last thing that I want to see this weekend. Oh, I agree completely. Every single game I watch, I just hope that the officials can have as minimal of an impact on it as possible. Yeah, and we've been doomed by this, it seems, for a while, especially in the playoffs over the last few years. I think that's something that could be in Green Bay's favor, though, because they seem to catch a lot of breaks on weird calls that didn't happen last week. They It did and it didn't last week. Uh, but, I mean, look at that game they played against the Bears this year. There were two really strange calls in that game. I would not be surprised if, and, and this is not a conspiracy, I'm not saying that it's intentional, by the NFL, but I would not be surprised if some call benefited Green Bay and that's something we're talking about on Monday and a, a key contributor to the Packers being in the Super Bowl. Yeah, no, I'm with you on that. I think the Packers have always gotten some pretty good luck <laughs> yeah. and uh, 
I'm just I'm just hoping that it doesn't happen again. I mean, they've got they shouldn't have won at least one of those Lions games. Bears game is a story for a different time. But uh, <laughs> they've just they've always kind of gotten gotten good luck good luck in the draft since that uh, since that Dallas game a couple of years ago in the playoffs. Yeah, believe it or not, that was five years ago already. Wow! Oh, wow! I know that because my sister's boyfriend had as his yearbook quote, Des caught it. <laughs> <laughs> He's a Cowboys fan. <laughs> oh, that's tough. That's tough. One last NFL thing here. One thing I think is interesting to note, we lost Lamar Jackson in the playoffs. We lost the Vikings, which I thought the Vikings were actually one of the most compelling stories in these playoffs because of the polarization that fans have with Kirk Cousins. If people think, can Kirk win the big one? I thought that was a really compelling storyline. So we lost Lamar Jackson, who was the breakout star of these playoffs. We obviously lost the Patriots two weeks ago. I'm looking at last year, Super Bowl ratings were down. And we could, if we were to get Tennessee, San Francisco, man, I just, I feel like, we could go down from last year. I miss having the Patriots in this spot. What do you think is the best? What are the best outcomes in terms of viewership? And what are your thoughts on this subject in general? Yeah, I think if I think Tennessee gets in, um, ratings are going to take a take a little bit of a hit in general. Um, but yeah, I think I think ratings will hate, take a hit of it in general just because. I mean, they on the star unless you say you say Derrick Henry, obviously, but. Uh, I think it's a good story. It's be a great story for the NFL. But at the same time, you want to see Mahomes versus Rodgers. You want to see the what some consider the greatest, the best talent at QB of all time versus the best talent in the game right now. Um, I just think I think Mahomes Rodgers would be awesome, and I also think Mahomes versus uh, you could argue, or well, most would argue, is the best team in the NFC. I think that'd be a really good one too. I just think. Much as I hate to say it, and much as I'd love to see Tannehill get his, I just think that uh, Titans Super Bowl will be a little dry. You know, a lot of running football. No one really wants to see 30 handoffs in a Super Bowl game, you know? <laughs> I think for us, we would be excited about the Titans. Maybe not in the two weeks. You get the two weeks leading up to the Super Bowl. I just don't feel like, like with the Patriots there and media day, there's just, it feels like the event is so much bigger and I think if we have these quarterbacks and all of the talk, if you're looking at this from a podcasting perspective or a journalism perspective, what makes the best story going into a game? It's got to be that Mahomes-Rogers thing. And just having Mahomes in that game, just having Rogers in that game, in general, I think you really want at least one of them. And if you get both of them, that's the best case scenario. If you're a hardcore football fan like you and I are, we're going to love watching Tennessee, especially against a situation where they were playing the Packers in the sense of, once again, can this run attack beat another elite passing quarterback? That's something that would be really amazing because we look at like that perspective of the Washington Nationals. To us, the hardcore fans, that's an amazing story. And I think at the end of the day, if Tennessee won the Super Bowl, People would be able to look back and say, wow, what an amazing run that was. That's a team that we'll remember for a long time, just in the sense of how unlikely their run seemed. 
But if you're talking about we want to market this game to the casual viewer, I just don't think I don't think the Tennessee thing really is a big selling point. If you had Tannehill versus Garoppolo, with all due respect to those guys, it's just not the same as Rodgers versus Mahomes. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I mean, realistically, there's only there's only so much you can uh, hype up in two power run teams and two quarterbacks that really a lot of you know just casual fans wouldn't even know and wouldn't even probably have never watched before. But even those casual fans, everyone knows Rodgers, everyone knows Mahomes, so that just that will build the ultimate hype, and that's what I like to see. You know, you want you want to see a good Super Bowl. Um, you want everyone to be locked in, and you want to see a shootout in the Super Bowl. I think the best, I think the best chance of the best getting a shootout in the Super Bowl is definitely going to be that that uh, Kansas City and Green Bay matchup. Yeah, and I think past that, how would you rank the other potential matchups? Which one would you like to see next? Tennessee and Green Bay, uh, Kansas City and San Francisco. Uh, I would, I would definitely say. I'd definitely say Kansas City and San Francisco. I think that'd be a really good matchup too. Um, yeah. I think like yeah, I, I think I think that'd be a really good one too. Kyle Shanahan is a great coach, Andy Reid, Kyle Shanahan. He can build a lot of hype behind that too and I think they just got kind of a new offensive genius versus the versus the veteran one, you know. Yeah. So then third, probably the Packers versus the Titans would be our third best option. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah, I agree with that. And then our 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 least favorite option would be the Tennessee versus San Francisco. Yeah, two power run teams can't can't excite me too much. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I th- I think I'll I'll co-sign that with you. So essentially, that means that we look at the Chiefs as the most valuable team left in these playoffs to the viewers' perspective. And that's funny because Tennessee keeps knocking off. In my opinion, the the Patriots are the best draw in terms of ratings they knocked them off they knocked off i i don't know i don't know how excited people would get about baltimore if they were in this spot but i do think the lamar story was really exciting for a lot of people so they knocked them off and now they they could potentially knock off the most compelling team left and they could just say screw you guys this is what you get <laughs> yeah i don't think it's a great story so you know i'm, I'm here for it Okay, Jake, we only have a few minutes left here. We have a little bit in baseball news. Yesterday, word became clear of what the penalty will be for the Houston Astros, and the Houston Astros responded by firing Jeff Lunau and firing A.J. Hinch. In addition to that, Alex Cora on the heels and waiting for what discipline will be handed out to the Boston Red Sox their role in sign stealing and Cora tracing back to his Houston days in 2017 and then bringing some of that nuance, if you want to call and maybe not nuance, but <laughs> shadiness over to Boston with him. The Boston Red Sox agreed to part ways with Alex Cora. What do you make of all this mess? Yep. Uh, uh, it's tough to see, you know, it, it's tough, man. I mean, obviously like, I love the game, I think, and obviously you love the game, too, and I mean, diehard baseball fans hate to see this, but at the same time, it's tough tough not to be realistic with yourself and think that 
Well, one side stealing is something that every single team does. Um, Whoa. Not, tech, not, not with, not with, not with technology. Like, when you got a guy in second base, he's obviously trying to pick up signs and signaling yeah. something in. I think that's just an unwritten rule of baseball. But uh, when you bring technology into it and you start taking advantage of, uh, of just like different things like that and different uh, breaches in technology, then I think it starts getting shady. And I hate, hate to see it. Um, obviously, I like Alex Cora. I, like, I think AJ, Clinch, AJ Hinch is a, is a class act as they come. But, you know, someone's got to take the fall. Um, I, I saw what there the, was a story that AJ Hinch broke a computer because he was so upset about this idea of sign stealing, too. By the way, I, I wouldn't put it past him. I think AJ Hinch is one of those class acts in baseball, so it's tough to see him take that take that big of a hit. Um, I think he's a great manager, so whoever gets him is next year. I think he's making a great hire. Um, but like you saw Jeffrey Luno, um, and like you saw his note. He said he basically said that he didn't do anything, and he said it was a lot of the a lot of the players and uh, Alex Cora, and so I so I started to think you know like these players they they had to have a huge huge part in it you know like obviously everyone's trying to have that competitive advantage and when they think that they can boost their stats and win them a world championship they're going to take that opportunity but it's it's just it's interesting because you really can't unless they have more evidence than than I know of. Because you can't really, you can't really discipline the players, um, and then you gotta give the give the hits to the guys that were leading the helm. And I just feel bad for for uh, AJ Hinch, especially Alex Cora. I think he's a great guy, great manager, but from what everything I've heard, he had is probably the biggest role in this. So I don't feel as bad for him. But uh, and another thing too is it'll be interesting to see what happens with Beltron because I heard yeah. that he's in the hot seat now too. Yeah, it seems like they're sticking with them. It seems very classic New York Mets just not caring about <laughs> this public perception, the ethics in question here, and also just the fact that they could potentially be paying three managers next year because unless there's some way that they can get out of this contract with Beltron in the court of law, which I, I don't know how that would happen, but they're going to pay... Carlos Beltran, regardless of whether or not he is their manager next year. And they're also still paying Mickey Calloway. And if they bring in a third guy, now you're talking about paying three managers next year, which is just kind of crazy to think about. Yeah. The most Mets move of all time, Jack. <laughs> it's just the Mets. <laughs> Very Mets-ish. Uh, hey, yeah. thank you so much for everything today. I got one last thing I want to leave you with, Jake. I want to give you a lot of credit because a month ago you joined me on here and you said if the Braves and Cubs are able to see eye to eye, there could potentially be a Chris Bryant deal to be made between these two parties. And I didn't entirely disagree with you, but my whole thing was I I don't think anything's going to happen until this grievance is heard. And I also said I expected this grievance to go into February, which at this point looks like it will be the case. So I want to give you props because this trade, now that Josh Donaldson has signed with the Minnesota Twins, which happened last night, this trade could very well happen because the Braves need a third baseman. They have prospects. The Cubs, for whatever reason, really want to trade Chris Bryant. So I want to give you a lot of credit for analyzing, assessing that potential trade. 
And hey, I, I guess I was a little right too in this regard that I didn't think it would have happened by now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I uh, appreciate that credit. Yeah, I just like I said, like I said in the last podcast, I am my biggest uh, my biggest wish, I guess, for this for the rest of this off season is just that not to happen. Uh, I think it's, it's made, <laughs> same same for me. <laughs> yeah, so I'm. I mean, I would I would rather see Chris Knight stay than than him get traded, but. If if he's gonna get traded somewhere, just please do not be the NLEs if it's not the Phillies. Well, yeah, the Phillies. Yeah, that the Phillies could hop in there. We'll see. But hey, Jake, I know you gotta get out of here. Thank you so much for your time today. You killed it. Is there anything that you would like to promote or plug your social media handles, anything of that nature before I get you out of here? Uh, no, I don't think so, Jack. I appreciate you having me on. Like I said, it's always a good time. I uh, love to talk some sports and uh, give my give my sometimes hot opinions, but uh, yeah, just not not much I can think of right now. But I appreciate you having me on. Yeah, man, absolutely. We'll check in sometime during this baseball season, if not sooner, for college basketball. Awesome, man. Well, folks, there you have it, Jake Poliga. What an episode it was today. So. Grateful to have had him. Shout out to Jake. Shout out to Larissa for joining me. If you like what you heard today, go ahead and subscribe to the Jack Vita Show on iTunes. It does a lot of good for the podcast, especially if you leave a five-star rating and a review. If you can leave some nice thoughts as a review for the podcast, it does a lot of good for the podcast. You can follow me on Twitter at Jack Vita Show. If you like what you heard also in terms of baseball, you can go back. I recorded a big episode last week with Zach Jones just a few days ago, late last week, and we analyzed a lot of MLB offseason hot stove stuff. Coming up on the podcast, I will be doing a couple of really... Actually, I got three podcast episodes in the works. First of all, There will be a podcast episode following the conference championship games. Guest is to be determined and TBA. So be on the lookout for that. In addition to that, I've got the MLB Hall of Fame vote is coming up on Tuesday of next week. Andrew Stem, Professor Andrew Stem, he's going to join me and we're going to talk about this Hall of Fame ballot. We'll see who gets into the hall and who we would have liked to see get a little more love on the ballot. So that'll be a lot of fun. And one other bonus podcast, Date TBD, but coming up over the next week or two. There's been so much buzz around this Popeye's chicken sandwich. So over the last month or two, I've been going on a hunt, and I've been trying out all the fried chicken sandwiches at fast food restaurants. So I'm going to have a guest with me, Jeremy Williams. Jeremy and I are going to break down the fried chicken sandwich market. We're going to talk Popeyes. We're going to talk KFC. We're going to talk Chick-fil-A. That's going to be an episode you will not want to miss. So be on the lookout for all of these episodes. Thanks again to everyone for listening today. Until next time, I'm Jack Vita. Bring in the dancing lobsters. <laughs>